Yo, yo, welcome to another special episode, a little multicast, if you will, simulcast. This uh, podcast is going to be so good, you'll be able to find it in a lot of places. Ross Reconstruction, Round Ball Ramble, Duncan Dynasty. If you're wondering who is this, I mean, first of all, you should already know you checked one of the three feeds. But secondly, my name is Corbin Ford. Uh, follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA, and I am joined, or I am joining, uh, good friend, fellow NBA sicko, recently in less than two i mean literally, i'm not going to say the amount of time but he made himself a self-made nba draft expert this is gary bougay you know him you love him uh duncan dynasty find that wherever you get your podcast but find him more importantly on twitter at garrett bougay g-a-r-r-e-t-t-b-u-g-a-y don't misspell it y'all find him uh garrett how you doing my friend I'm doing well. Yeah. As you said, I, uh, I've been kind of as in preparation for this podcast, I've kind of been binging NBA draft related content, you know, um, hoop intellect, uh, dunked on scouting reports, some Sam Vecini, some Zach Lowe, Jonathan Gavoni, watching some, some full games of some prospects that I felt like I hadn't seen a lot of. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of hoops. And uh, it's it's been a, it's been a blast, but uh, yeah, doing well. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, listen, first, I, I, there's there's been a little bit of a podcast hiatus I've been on. Had my move, not having the tech, still troubleshooting some of the tech. I've had a few that I've been a guest on, but this is the first one like the old school deep dive like pods I love, and I can think of no better person to do it than the one I've done so many of these with um with you garrett so this is this is great for me um i'm also hyped again i was in a bit of a hoop rut i hate when that happens you know and a lot of it was just the move and the stress of all that it was it was a lot but we are here um the draft is literally by the time this drops less than a week away uh i mean i'm excited off season time like it's it's a fun time so you know just uh just ready to talk some hoops and 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 get things going man i'm excited well and i gotta just mention it to everyone listening just to show the dedication that uh, that is Corbin Ford. You know, I I'm often on some some very weird sleep schedules, and so there have been times where I've asked Corbin, and he's been willing to do a pod as late as like one or two a.m. <laughs> and then today, I uh, uh, prior to today, I thought that my availability was going to be only in the very early morning. Corbin was willing to do a pod at seven a.m. his time. It ended up being that we could record it more at a reasonable time for him at around 10 30 or so but uh you know corbin willing to record basketball pods literally around the clock that's how much this guy loves basketball oh absolutely i appreciate that shout out my friend it's it's a real deal out here you know it's it's great i love it and i could not think of another better person to do it than with you so again man thank you for this this is fun but let's let's dive right in diving into this 2023 draft class draft drops Less than a week from now. Um, and you have, of course, the big names. You have what's, what's who's called a generational talent. You have Victor Wembanyama. You have another guy who many say would be, you know, number one in a draft that is not this one. Um, and Scoot Henderson. You have an intriguing, um, yet in my opinion, slightly flawed uh, prospects in the Thompson Twins. Cam Whitmore is there. You got Brandon Miller, who is like an overvalued Wesley Johnson. I'm just kidding. Um, but he's talked about, you know, going number two. So like you have a lot going on. And my, my question to you is you've obviously been deep diving this draft the last couple of days, weeks, whatever the case may be. Obviously we know you've been really going hard. Um, where do you put this class in comparison to let's say even the last four drafts? 
I would probably say it's the best. Okay. It's, I mean, obviously, Victor Wembanyama is the best prospect of the last four classes. Um, and Scoot Henderson is probably in the top four or five in the last four classes. And then beyond that, I think this class has a lot of depth to it. And we'll get into this, but I think also a lot of depth at the most valuable spots at the wing positions. There's a lot of quality guys, a lot of interesting options here. And so, you know, even as teams, you know, that are picking in the late teens and into the twenties, I think there's going to be some, some really intriguing prospects still on the board. I would have to agree. I think it's one of those things where you, it's weird for me because I I was looking at these last couple of draft classes. I'm glad I asked you this question. I like this and you have a lot of intriguing. I mean, it's, it's the Corbin draft in my opinion. You got a lot of, combo guards who can kind of maybe swing between the one and two you have a lot of shooters like offense is there but at the same time there is some interesting depth and some different different archetypes of players you know you have uh, the do-it-all wonder kind in Victor Omiyama you have you know the Thompson twins who again aren't great shooters but like offensively transition um offensively in transition you know making preternatural reads you know the way they play defense like they have that look to them you have Cam Whitmore who I guess the best way to describe him offhand is like a Miles Bridges kind of guy where the dude doesn't pass, but he shoot, scores so well. It's like, eh, like it's different. I agree, though. The wings and the talent of those wings. We haven't even talked about uh, Grady Dick, you know, uh, B-Ball Kubali, Kubali. Ah, butchered that. I knew I was going to. Um, hey, uh, guys like that that have, you know, th- this multi-positional depth. Um, and are able to swing across a, a, a variety of, of positions on the floor and make an impact, whether it's on the defensive side of the floor or, you know, with different specialized offensive skill sets. So I agree. I think it's interesting. I still like, I don't know, I, I, I a lot like that 20, I feel like that 2021 draft class, I'm trying to think in comparison to like, but I don't know if that's just because I was high on like a Jalen Green or 2022 with, um, you know, Jabari Smith Jr. and Paolo Bancaro and them. And mind you, it's not not that it's by any means over in terms of that class. I mean, obviously, it's so new. You know what I mean? That you still want to see how some of these guys shake out. But, yeah, 2021, I'm looking at Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley. Um, Cade, obviously, battle injuries. Evan Mobley's offensive game hasn't quite come together. Uh, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Suggs haven't exactly popped off um, just yet. Um, although Scotty had his moments and Jalen's had some too this past year. Uh, Kaminga still trying to find his way. Franz Wagner, yeah, you kind of go down the list. I mean, Trey Murphy's definitely been a standout. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, and that's just in the first round. Alpin Shingun has his fans. Like that's that's one thing, right? And then if you look at that 2023 draft, um, by comparison, um, and again, it's super early, so I'm not making any, you know, hard, or not 2023. My fault. Um, it's super early, so I'm not making hard and fast like declarations. But like, I like Paulo, right? Um, we'll see what Chet looks like this year. Um, Jabari had a decent year, rough start. Definitely wasn't the shooter that he was projected to be coming out of college, at least initially. Jaden Ivey had his moments. Shaden Sharp had his moments. Keegan Murray was very solid, you know, and he went fourth. Uh, you had some guys like, you know, Jalen Williams, Mark Williams, AJ Green, Tori Eason that had some spots as well. So, uh, Jeremy Sohan as well. It's not, it's not as, I don't know, the, the talent at the top in this draft looks like it might deliver a little bit more than the talent at the top over the last couple drafts. And the depth in this class, uh, still early, but it definitely looks intriguing. 
Well, and you talk about, again, just the, you can't discount how great Victor is potentially going to be because a lot of, a lot of GMs, a lot of uh, teams believe that he's going to be an all-star year one. And that, that those 21, 22 classes, I'm not positive on this. I didn't look it up, but I don't think either of them have an all-star yet. Um, so just that alone, I think is, uh, has potential. Like again, Victor Weminyama is a generational prospect along the lines of a LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, you know, Bill Walton potentially, or and like a, a Tim Duncan, like that level of prospect. And he's, um, you know, he's, he's got the potential to be a truly, truly great player on both ends. I think a lot of, again, just hearing from uh, listening to like, uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski and, and reading some of his tweets talking about that teams believe within three years that he's going to be both the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the NBA. Which like, whoa, I, <laughs> whoa. It's, it's, it's almost wild to think about. I, I oof, that is, that is wild. I mean, all right, we're going to talk about it. We're going to, we're going to dive into it. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Because I have I have questions about that, but yes, people are in love with Lemby, and I also greatly am of like the talent, man. It, it, it's crazy, but yeah, I agree with you. I have I have no choice. It's one of those things where, and it's so early, but like you said, the we haven't had any immediate standout, you know, all stars between the last two drafts. Uh, honestly, maybe not one really like very close, you know. And with Wemby, yeah, you probably have the best chance off the gate. I'd even be high on a guy like Scoot. I mean, it'd be a lot, you know especially if he's drafted in the East to guard all of that. But like, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, um, I, I think Scoot would be in contention for the number one pick in basically 98% of NBA drafts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he's just that the talent is that intriguing. Let's start with Wemby. I feel like he is kind of the, the, the tent pole of this draft. The guy will look back moving forward he's been called a unicorn he's been called an alien all of the things right um what are your thoughts on women yama obviously you're high on him let me throw in this question i am also high on women but i've I've, and maybe i've been just listening to like looking at numbers and such i am worried about Wemby a little bit and i i don't know how worried i should be like here's the thing like I think worried, it's worried about him as a player or worried about his body and a potential injury issue given his size. Kind of a little bit of both. So I'm worried about his I'm worried about his body a little bit. I don't think it's I don't think it's not for nothing that. I mean people have brought up the whole thing with Chet like oh, you know, that's ridiculous if you think that and then Chet missed all year. Mind you, unre- like it's still an injury thing. It wasn't a a contact like that sort of thing, but it was an injury. Like I I I feel like that does count. You got a guy seven foot four. Um, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think I like a Ralph Sampson type guy who he kind of reminds me of in terms of the frame. Well, you know, just, you just just think about it this way: the more inches you have, it's the more the more potential weight and pressure that that puts on your feet and your lower body. And so that's why you've seen over the years um, guys like like Yao Ming in particular dealing with a ton of, of foot issues the Junis Ilgauskas you know guys that are seven three and up it's a concern um, now we are in 2023 you know the medical staffs have continued to improve and we haven't seen as many guys just get completely derailed and have career-ending injuries right so that's mm-hmm. that's a positive thing and I also think that Wemby you know 
is a little bit more built than your typical seven five guy. Uh, he's he's not a stick, right? He's got some heft to him. He obviously needs to continue to improve that. Not only I think to improve his game, but to hopefully improve his durability. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious what concerns you have about him just as a player, though, because. I'm pretty much not concerned at all. I have question marks about what type of player he's going to be offensively, but I don't really have any concerns about whether he'll that whatever that turns into will be good or not. Okay. I mean, the one thing I have, I mean, the question I have, um, his shooting. Okay. I, I, I feel like his shot looks good. He takes a lot of volume. The numbers don't really bear it out. The numbers show potential to do it for sure. But, I mean, I'm a big fan of guys who <laughs> they look good shooting and the numbers don't actually reflect the actual results. And I feel like, you know, a lot of his game, like, he's still going to be a, 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 a seven for four guy. Like, he's still going to be able to, to finish. His mid-range shot, I do buy, like, legit. I, I just think he's more of a shaky outside shooter than we see. The highlights look amazing, but the numbers don't exactly bear that out. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest thing for me. I don't like, I mean, his finishes that aren't dunks are interesting to me as well. Um, in terms of not being like, I, I guess not super sold on those, um, at least not yet. Um, and then of course, like a lot of the stuff he's doing off the dribble, um, which is really cool to see, you know, being that he is who he is in terms of seven foot, well, seven foot two, I guess officially, but like being the kind of size that he is, I don't know if that's going to be something that we see actually a lot in the NBA. Um, so I don't yeah, know. I'm, I, uh, this is devil's advocate. I don't really have. You're picking school. You're not picking school. You're picking vector one of one all the time. Like these reservations I have are like very, very low on everything else you bring to the table. But you are the one person I feel comfortable in anyone who listens, of course, um, sharing, you know, my reservations as little as they may be just to kind of delve into a little here. Yeah, I mean, it's his offensive game. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I mentioned that you don't really know what it could be because it could be a variety of things like if you think about it like a work of art it could be a painting that's like a portrait it could be a landscape it could be an abstract work we have no idea because he can do so many different things you talked about the three-point shooting and and the percentages maybe not being fantastic but he's capable of hitting shots and he's not only capable of hitting spot-up shots he's capable of hitting step-back threes right Mm -hmm. and um the the thing that I would push back on, though, is like, say, say the shooting, as you said, maybe it doesn't work, right? My response would be, well, then he becomes a more dependent offensive player like Anthony Davis and does that extremely well because he's an ex- he is a great role lob threat because he's got, you know, his standing reach is literally the height of the rim. It's 10 feet. That's yeah, that's wild. He changes the the straight geography of the court. You throw the ball up to him. You you probably cannot throw the ball too high to Victor Wembanyama on a on a roll to the rim. If he's standing in the dunker spot right on, say, the left side of the paint, he can catch the ball, take one dribble and reverse dunk on the right side of the rim. I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. When you bring up points like that, it does lead you to go, huh? So Maybe even if I'm he's over, not uh-huh. like the guy that you just throw the ball to, if he doesn't succeed in that respect, he'll be excellent just, again, playing in the dunker spot, setting screens and rolling to the rim. Um, you know, he's uh, – I feel like there's just really 
barring injury, there's really no way he fails on the offensive end. It's just a matter of, you know, if the shot is good enough, if he can get to a dirt level as a shooter, which is a possibility, mm-hmm. he can at his size can just shoot over the top. He can become just an unstoppable go-to guy that forces doubles and all of that. Uh, and that obviously takes him to another level. But even the floor to me on the offensive end is extremely high because of all the things that he can do, um, you know, again, as a as a potential role man, as a guy in the dunker spot, because of how much ground he can cover, how long he is. So, I mean, you that they're all that's yeah, <laughs> like all of that's clear. And, and, and when you bring it out like that, it does make you feel a little bit silly because of just the way he changes the floor on both ends you have to account for them regardless right and that's going to be a thing do you have any no okay there's your answer <laughs> i'm guessing your question was any reservations about him defensively i li- dude this you this is why you we, you read my mind my friend you flip and read listen yo this is friendship right here yes that was my next question i really said do you have didn't even finish it. And he nailed it word for word, line for line, bar for bar. That was my question. I got my answer. That's uh, on that end. I, I just think he's going to come in and be an all defensive level player right away. Um, just again, just his length is going to be. And, and again, he's a, he's a relatively fluid mover. Like for his size, he's a great mover. Um, so he can, he can run a drop and be an absolutely destructive force. He just covers so much ground and the fact that he can move. And I think he's got pretty good instincts and positioning, right? They're not elite. I would say that I would grade them like at B level for his positioning and his instincts. Mm-hmm. But he's also young, right? That stuff can improve. If he gets to the point where not only does he succeed with his length and his natural tools but then also succeeding with his bind it's over he's he's gonna completely destroy opposing offenses wow this is yeah yeah Uh, the the potential is beyond there i can't say that it isn't it's one of those things for me where it's like again uh, we're getting to the point i'm glad i've got to got this far before I start doing this, you know how you start having those second guesses where you just are so antsy. You're like, well, what about this? And should we not, uh, the next person we're going to talk about, should we take Brandon Miller at two? Like, even though you've had like a clear answer all year long, but now you're just kind of in the room, second guessing yourself, filling your thumbs. And you're like, but, but let me ask you this. This is what this feels like. Because from what you, I mean, hands down, I, I get it. He's going to be uh, at best, a multi-time all-star at best i don't see him getting right, a situation worse, where worse i right? mean i'm sorry <laughs> whoops <laughs> don't sound like that y'all at worst a multi-year all-star right but like i've heard so many things do you think the hype is too much there you go i've heard a lot that oh he's gonna be in a couple of years and this one from sam bassini on his big board which i love which was he'd be the best player on planet earth and i'm like okay like whoa like well, like that that just seems like a lot. That just seems like a lot. And looking back and seeing the hype of LeBron James back in the day, and like, yes, he fulfilled all of that. But like, and I wasn't, I was, we were both relatively young back then, you know, to kind of be fully cognizant of the media presence, aware of it. But like, it feels like a lot 
to put on his shoulders in that way. And I'm not saying that he's not up to, I'm just saying maybe he can't live up to that. That's not a bad thing. It's just a thing that might be a thing. And I, I just want to get your take on it because I am like really kind of beside myself. Like, whoa, like we are putting him out to be all that, the bag of chips, side of great, like everything from like the get. And I feel like maybe it takes, a, is there a, a scenario where he turns out to be a really better version of Porzingis? Porzingis went, you know, in the top, top five. I mean, I'm I I would <laughs> I would guess that he's way better than Porzingis. <laughs> uh, I, I think like if he ends up being as good as Porzingis, that would be a disappointment if that's what he ends up being. I like that. Uh, it was a, it was a half joke anyway, but I'm yeah, glad like yeah, exactly. Mm. But uh, the yeah, and I know our buddy. Um, uh, our mutual friend Simon Sherrod Gordon, he he posted on Twitter that one of his coworkers suggested that the floor for Victor was Kevin Durant, which yeah, that's a bit too much. Kevin Durant's bit. like a you know a borderline, I would say probably a top twenty player of all time or close to that. So mm-hmm. that's a that's that's a bit too much for me to say that that's his floor. Um, and I think the the big. The big question mark again for me is the offense. Is he more an Anthony Davis where he's largely a dependent offensive talent? Again, even if he is that, he'll still help your team's offense be good. But that limits his upside. That limits the, you know, the crazy talk of like, oh, this guy's going to be the greatest player of all time, sort of. Yeah, just a little bit. Exactly. And I guess like that is the what? not even a 10% outcome. Like that's not a likely outcome, but it is something I think about, you know? But I mean, again, like speaking just specifically to the defensive end of the floor, I don't think it's a crazy statement to suggest that Victor Wembenyama's floor as a defender is borderline all defense. Oh, no, no. I, I, my questions, if any, are more on the offensive end. The defensive end was the question I asked you just to keep things even, you know, just to ask the question. I'm fully in agreement. I, the offensive game, I'm like, I just want to see more what it looks like because it almost reminds me, it's way better than Evan Mobley, but it reminds me of that Evan Mobley kind of game where, like, all the things he possibly could do, Victor can do so much more. But we've seen it all in bits and pieces, not, like, really that cohesive of a line that I wonder if it will ever fully come together at the next level. But just like Evan Mobley, you know, immediately made an impact on defense and has been really, really good despite his frame. Like, Wemby's better than Mobley. Like, I'm, I'm comparing them just because of the same type of idea in my mind of how they were scouted, what they could be, what we've seen so far. But, like, you bring Wemby in there, and, and it's, it's, it's not matching. Like, he's way better at, right off the bat than Mobley is and what he brings to the table potentially. I guess I'm just concerned if the offensive game doesn't fully come together in the way that everyone sees it becoming. I've heard he could be a 25-point-per-game guy. I'm looking right now thinking he might more like 18, 20-point-per-game guy. That's just me. I, I don't know. Again, this is maybe I'm lower on the offensive game than consensus for sure, but I just haven't loved the shooting numbers. I haven't loved a lot of the finishing numbers, you know, between like 3 to 10 feet, like that sort of thing. And so maybe, again, he's he's young. Like, that'll grow and I'll look really stupid for this but so many other much better scouts than me have looked even stupider so I'm not ashamed of that and you also know my favorite players so you know I have no shame (laughs) you know the 18 to 20 points in today's NBA isn't what it was 10 years ago right like I think in today's game with the pace 
you know, you talk about, again, even if he doesn't become that go-to option, just playing that complementary offensive role, running the floor, right? Getting a couple of buckets in transition or with some quick seals on uh, when he gets a mismatch in transition. Some offensive rebounds. You get a couple buckets off of offensive rebounds. You get a couple of buckets off of rolling to the rim and catching lobs. You get a couple of buckets along the baseline as the, um, you know, in the dunker spot. All of a sudden, we're talking about 18 to 20 points right there. You know what? That was... <laughs> This is why I love your analysis. That was an easy breakdown of that. Yeah, in the flow of the game. And I I, I think you're right. I I mean, I don't think you're right. You're right. I, I guess, especially in the situation where San Antonio, where I don't think they're going to, I mean, when David Robinson came in, it was probably the last time a number one pick came in. And it was all right. Like, you're the guy. You know, I mean, Tim Duncan came in. You saw David Robinson. You had Sean Elliott. You had a deeper bench. You know, you had guys that were able to, like, kind of bring you in. Kawhi Leonard obviously was a number one. One pick when he came in, get Duncan, um, Parker, Ginobili, these other guys. Now, mind you, the, the talent that Wemby is joining isn't nowhere near the same level, but you do like a, a Devin Bissell, right? You do like a Keldon Johnson um, as players that, you know, you're not just like putting out Wemby and being, all right, here you are. Like the ball is yours. It's immediate. It's going to be. We all know this, but it's not something that has to be like right now. So I, I guess there is hope for him just kind of fitting in, finding his role. And it looks like Popovich is going to stay for another year at least. So at least there's going to be some help there. Yeah, it's um, I, I think San Antonio was the was the perfect place for him to go. You know, there's the French connection with Tony Parker and Boris Diaw. Um, you know, I think he just was uh, that was one of the teams that he was excited about going to potentially that had an opportunity at the number one overall pick. You know, it's a st- it's been a stable organization for a long time, a very experienced coach. I think a coach that he will have to respect. I mean, Greg Popovich deserves everyone's respect at this point, given what he's accomplished in the league. Um, and also, you know, beyond that, like, I think Greg Popovich is a good person in terms of just, um, you know, molding young men off the court as well. So I think it's a great landing spot. And yeah, I'm, you know, again, going back to the offensive side of the floor, like, yeah, I, I don't really know what to project of him offensively because he can do so much like his handle for a seven, five guy is quite good. Um, His uh, again, his, his mobility at that size is quite good. He's going to be able to shoot over literally everyone in the league (laughs) other than maybe if Boban's still around. Um, So he could be a guy that like is a face-up guy and hits step back threes and drives and dunks and, you know, scores that way. He could be a back to the basket guy that just, you know, hits a bunch of jump hooks over the top. Um, You know, again, yeah, he could be the Anthony Davis dependent type that just, you know, helps your offense in all of the little ways, like getting on the offensive glass, running the floor, occasional mismatch hunting. Um, So, yeah, that's that's the thing that I'm so excited to watch and see him play is because we we don't know exactly what he might be offensively because he has a lot of different tools that um, and there's an element of like, OK, he's not maybe he's not great at any one thing offensively yet, but he's young and he could get there. It's very possible. If you're going to bring a, a, a argument where you go, look at what he has so far and he's young. Wemby is the perfect person to do that. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, I mean, it, it's really more of a mystery box in terms of the offensive game. You have, like, the ingredients of what could be a bit great cake, right? But, like, it has to be put together. 
right? Yeah. But they're all there, you know? If you want to talk about the elite, you know, length, great. You have the athleticism, great. You have the dexterity, great. You have the shooting touch, not super consistent, but it looks good. And the results are super consistent, but the shot looks good, great. Like, you have all of these things. So if you look at it just off of that, yes, like, just at the bare minimum, the guy is going to be something special. But my last question on Wemby before we move on, um, did you have another team fit that you would have liked to see him on outside of San Antonio? Because I'm going to throw out a team, and listen, it's it's half in jest because it'd be a great team to play with in 2K um, or Basketball GM, which I will probably do, and it would not have worked for any other reason. But, man, if he could have been in Houston. In Houston, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, like dysfunction city all the way and you don't even see me trying to hide it absolutely it had been a problem but man like i would have loved to have seen uh, uh jalen green um wemby pick and rolls or wemby jabari smith jr actions and Tori Easton and they're getting funky with it. Alfred Shingoon inside out play. Like, like the play pieces wise is so intriguing to me, even if absolutely nothing else about it makes sense. Yeah, there, I mean, he really would fit on pretty much all teams because he has the versatility to play the four or the five. He's probably at the beginning of his career going to be playing more at the four just because until he improves his strength. But, you know, I think Portland would have been interesting if they would have jumped to one because they, you know, Yusuf Nurkic isn't what he used to be. They, um, I think that's maybe their weakest position is the, is the center spot. So I think he would have made a huge impact on them right away. And um, given Damian Lillard, the, the superstar that uh, to pair alongside him that he's wanted for a long time, uh, you know, another team that I think, would be uh, would be interesting as well is uh, Orlando. You know, I, I, I like Wendell Carter Jr. there, but, you know, you talk about uh, Paolo. I think it would be a great guy to have next to Wemby. I like um, that. So, yeah, but frankly, again, because he could play at the four with his potential shooting ability and his skill level, um, you know, he can kind of fit. He would fit literally everywhere. Yeah, he's that kind of fit. I mean, imagine him in LA alongside Anthony Davis. I'm just kidding. Um, I think that's a great segue to move right along. But you're right. Wemby, the crown jewel for all the right reasons, um, it's a no-brainer. I wanted to throw a little bit of devil's advocate to really just make the podcast more interesting, get Garrett's analysis in refuting it, which, I mean, come on, the guy, his basketball knowledge speaks for itself. So that was fun. Um, but let's move on to number two. And the question slash not a question that we have there. Um, Charlotte Hornets up at number two. They need a lot of help pretty much everywhere, um, and they have the position of this is where they say the draft starts, which makes sense, uh, between, of course, uh, Scoot Henderson, uh, the electric guard from the G League Ignite, and Brandon Miller, the, you know, just multi-talented wing from Alabama. Um, People say a lot, this isn't just me throwing this out here, that there's like a real question here between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson for number two, which is interesting to me because Scoot's been the apparent number two all season. I just think I've seen more. He's produced more at a younger age. He's done this for a couple of years playing with actual like NBA pros. No disrespect to Brandon Miller, who has his own, you know, controversy kind of swirling off the court, or let's just say cloud swirling off the court. Um, But on the court, you know, brings good shooting, um, multi-positional defensive versatility. 
and in my opinion, that's all, folks. So, like, I, I guess I'm curious as to your take of the two players and who you think is the better fit. Um, and we'll just throw it to you for that analysis. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying that Brandon Miller is not my number two prospect. He's also not my number three prospect in this draft. Okay, you just made things slightly spicy um, because I don't have a number two, like, straight up, but I – like him like number three uh you know now i'm curious on who you have number three this is why i love this okay we're gonna keep one thing at a time he's not your number two or number three why is that i guess that explains who you'd pick between scoot and brandon miller but what are your thoughts on brandon miller we'll talk about him first then we'll kind of go into scoot and, and dive in him so the the big issue i have with brandon miller is his athleticism or lack thereof i think he's you know, basically kind of an average athlete that has really succeeded on just with his skill level. And, you know, he is very skilled and I'm not suggesting that skill isn't important. I think he is going to be a good basketball player. He's my number four prospect. I'm, I'm fairly high on him, but if we're talking, (laughs) if we're talking about comparing him to someone like Scoot Henderson, who is a very, very good athlete, the level of separation that those two players generate, it's not close. You know, Scoot Henderson consistently with his first step gets past his man, gets downhill, and when he goes to the rim, he finishes with authority. Um, Brandon Miller, it was interesting because as the season wore on, Miller did get better at finishing at the rim. But, you know, when I, I watched a couple of his games early on in the season and the finishing was a real concern. He was missing shots. He doesn't get great elevation a lot of the time and uh so that's the that's the big issue you you talk about for a guy like miller who's six nine he can shoot the basketball he can handle it he can pass that's very intriguing right but it at the highest levels in the nba you're going to have to deal with every type of possible coverage and i worry brandon miller against switching defenses whether he can actually create his own shot at the highest of levels. Um, you know, if if you're running a conventional pick and roll and he gets a screen and can come off of it and and has space to fire his jumper, yeah, he's going to be effective at that. But if you switch one 6'8 guy to another 6'8 guy on him and he's got to just, in isolation, create space and get his shot off, I I debate whether he can do that at a consistent level. Exactly. I, I agree with that. I um I don't see how I don't know. I, I think that there's gonna be a obviously he's in my top three. Like he's great. I'm I'm not saying um I'm not saying that he's not, but in my opinion, the issues that he has, he's is a rather stiff athlete to me. I don't see the on ball shot creation. Like if he's someone who showed a little bit more of the ability to be a, a secondary offensive initiator, you know, someone who can make plays on second side action, you know, or handle a pick and roll. And he's shown like a few glimpses here and there, but nowhere near enough for me to go, this is who he is. You know, I made a joke about him being, you know, a more hyped Wesley Johnson, but like, you know, uh, I mean, came in, shot a lot of threes, played good defense, good positional length for his, for his position. Um, Not a whole lot else. And unfortunately, Wesley Johnson came to the NBA and was exactly what he was when he was in college. A little bit less of a shooter, but the same type of play. I'm not saying Brandon Miller's going to be that, right? Although they both went forth. Just saying. But what I am saying is that I just haven't seen enough. In my mind, you pick a top three and say, okay, 
Like this guy, you look back and he could be like one of the best in the draft class. I don't think so. I think Brandon Miller could be maybe an all-star at some point, potentially. Um, I'm not exactly saying it's going to happen immediately, but he's someone who he could just be that strong, um, like Shane Battier type. I'm not saying the same type of player. I'm saying a guy who plays solid defense, knocks down threes. Six eight makes a decent pass once in a while, you know, does that consistently for like 12 years. Never good enough to get all-star consideration or anything like that, but a player that winning teams want to have on their on their roster, you know. Maybe he's a player like that. I, I don't know, but I'm not uh, uh compared to Scoot, I'm gonna throw it back to you not only for your reaction to this, but also for your breakdown of Scoot Henderson's game. Scoot Henderson to me, like everyone's like, oh, he'd be number one draft pick, you know, if Victor wasn't in there. I truly believe that, you know, and I think that. Um, even last year, he'd be up there, you know, I definitely like Paulo Bancaro. I was very high on Jabari Smith Jr., uh, for better or worse, but like Scoot has shown the leadership abilities, the, the intangibles, the ability to get to the, the rim, the strength and speed. It's like a young Westbrook and you know how I feel about my Westbrook, you know, um, he has a little bit, a, a jumper that I like from the mid range. That reminds me of Westbrook as well, where they both weren't great outside shooters, but they did have that, you know, Westbrook called the cotton shop to keep a defense honest. Uh, just his physical attributes, the fact that he could be a good defensive player. Um, when engaged, he already is, but I'm saying moving forward, he could be. Like, there's a lot in Scoot's corner, and the dude's only 19. That I'm looking at, like, wow. And he's had experience playing in leagues like this, you know? Um, that I just think there is more of less of a learning curve. I mean, Brandon Miller, I mean, we saw him even in higher competition in the NCAA tournament just get taken out, completely taken out. Like, just taken out, you know? So that's a a great point. And that's one of the other concerns is the higher level of competition. Miller was not as effective. Again, the, the better the defender, the worse he was, Uh, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the lack of, uh, of elite athleticism, I think affected him on the defensive end as well. You made a comparison to Shane Batty. I don't think he's anywhere near the type of defensive prospect that Shane Batty. Oh no, no. Um, Yeah. But offensively, again, like a 6'9 guy that can shoot the ball as well as he can, he can handle it some. He doesn't have a great handle, but he has a functional handle, and he can pass. He can see over the defense with his size. That's valuable, and I do think that he's going to be a decent secondary creator. You know, you talk about – I mentioned his maybe inability to defeat switching defenses, but – not every team is capable of, of running out switching lineups, right? He's going to get to face a lot of conventional pick-and-roll defense, and I think he's going to be pretty good, pretty effective at dealing with that. You know, you can also, as a secondary creator, maybe you get to be the, the main guy against second units, right? Inferior competition. And so he can maybe excel a little bit that way. But when we're talking about the number two guy in the draft, uh, and we've got a guy in Scoot who I think is – a number one option is a primary creator can attack all different sorts of defensive types. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think has a much higher potential on the defensive end as well. There's, there's not really much of a, a debate for me. And also, I don't know if you heard this Corbin, but um, through much of the, you know, pre-draft process, Scoot Henderson was listed at six, two, but more recently we've discovered that he's closer to six, four. With a six nine, no, I did not hear that. Whoa, okay, Sterling. Which, by the way, that's his actual name. Um, that is that is cool. Wow. Okay, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was never a contest for me. And those who 
I, I've been listening to pods and reading work of those who are looking at Brandon Miller over Scoot, just because I want to kind of get the devil's ad, ad, advocate side of it, just to understand more holistic basketball argument. But I'm not going to lie. I, I don't see it. The math doesn't math for me. It, it's clearly Scoot Henderson there. And uh, do you have any reservations about the fit between Scoot Henderson and LaMelo Ball together in the backcourt? Because I think it'll work okay. I think one can make the defense play on ball. The other can make them pay off ball on a reckless closeout or a timely cut. Um, but let me get your, your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's an issue at all because you talk about LaMelo's got good size at around 6'6". And you've got Scoot, I mentioned, is 6'4", like with a 6'9 wingspan. Like that's perfectly fine as your, as, uh, you know, your backcourt. And then I think skill-wise, LaMelo uh, is, is an excellent offensive player. When, when he's been on the floor, Charlotte has been much better on that end. But he's also not Luka Doncic, right? He's not prime LeBron James. So, uh, and and all teams need multiple guys that can handle the basketball and make plays for others. And I think both of them are also capable and intelligent players to play off of the ball and play off of each other. Whether that's, you know, Scoot, I think the biggest question mark is, can he knock down threes at a high level? I think he'll he'll get to a point where he's slightly above average. I think he shot around 33% from the NBA line with the G League last year. So... I think both of them are going to be capable floor spacers, um, you know, off the ball. They both are good cutters. They both can play with the ball and and grab the rebound and and push it and 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 go coast to coast. So yeah, I think it would be a fantastic fit. Um, so the the other thing about uh, Scoot that we got to talk about is just like, I mean. He's and there's there's going to be a couple other guys that also are great athletes. But when Scoot Henderson gets downhill, I mean, we, we saw it in the games where the, the, the G League Ignite played Victor Wembanyama's uh, Fr- French team. Scoot was able to finish at times over Victor. And that is no small feat there. Uh, you know, you watch Victor contest most guys, most guards try to go in at him. And it's a, it's a shit show, frankly, they just have no chance. Scoot actually like surprised Victor a few times and was able to get it to go. He did get blocked once or twice, but uh, he has elite burst. He has elite, elite athleticism getting off the ground when he gets ahead of steam. And uh, you know, I, I trust the pull-up jumper. He's a good passer. There's not really much, you know, we talked about Victor Weminyama and, you know, his versatility. There's, there's not too many, you know, as, as much as we like to talk about the, the strengths of prospects, there's also a matter of like, do these guys have weaknesses? And for Victor and Scoot, there's just generally not too many weaknesses to really pick at. I agree. I think that he is. Yeah, again, in a, in, a, in a situation where you didn't have a player like Victor Wimanyama around, you look at him and you go, wow, like, I could see him being, like, he's somebody I could see being an all-star next year alongside Victor, you know, having an electric year. Like, we've seen this type of player succeed, you know? Wimby, we haven't seen the type of player succeed because they haven't had all these attributes just like he does. Like, it, it's like a, a totally different level. It's a very good thing that we haven't seen a player with his length, with his physical tools, with his ability to shoot the ball, create off the dribble in, in spades, in, in spots. Like, we haven't seen that. But but the blueprint for Scoot's been there, you know? And the fact that he's drawing comparisons from everyone, from Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose to CP3, those are pretty good point guards, you know? They've all, they've all had some pretty good years. You know, all of them MVPs. 
um, you know, CP3 was an MVP, but he should have been in 2008. Um, all of them, you know, um, just really solid players. So, yeah, I agree with you there. I think that you put those two together, you make it work. This isn't exactly like um, the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, wanting Johnny Davis and Ricky Rubio um, to play together. You know, like this is this is a, a little bit of uh, not Johnny Davis, sorry, Johnny Flynn. This is a little bit of a different team. Um, and I think that great players make it work. And if they don't, then you trade one, you know, like. And you have the best one on the board. So I'm with you there. Um, let's move on to number three, because you have a player who isn't who I thought it would be at number three. And I'm curious as to, first off, before we even do your number three pick, Portland's up. Portland's at a crossroads, right? Um, Dane wants to build a Ratley. Dane wants to build a, a no more no more kids. So let's, let's get some bets. Let's make this happen. Portland's front office may finally be like, nah, fam, like this isn't going to work out. Does Portland trade the pick? Do you think? Does Portland make the selection? And then once you've given me that, let's get who you have at number three. Oh, man. I mean, that's that's kind of impossible to answer just because we don't know. You know, if you want to give me a fake offer, I could maybe make a guess as to whether they would trade it. But uh, they would have to be bowled over, I think, to uh, to uh, move out of three, especially if Scoot is there at three. <laughs> but, well, yeah. Uh, what if what if uh, let me throw you a trade right now? If you if you don't mind, yeah. Okay, so you're Portland, you're trying to get some wings. Let's say the Spurs offer Calvin Johnson, Devin Bissell for Nurkic in the third pick. No. Okay, I'm also with you on that. Um, what if you went Chicago, and Chicago? makes a trade and they offer DeMar DeRozan and like Caruso. No. Okay. That's all I got. So <laughs> there you go. Shout out to Rip City Project. Um, <laughs> though That's, that's all I have in terms of trades off hand for the pick. Um, I mean, there's a few, I mean, know that the, Oh no. Oh, here's one. Um, This one is actually has some, some room, like, like some real, some real rumors to it. Zion Williamson. <laughs> I mean, if it's if it's Scoot at three, I don't I don't trade the pick. If uh, if if Scoot is gone, yeah, I'd seriously consider Zion Williamson. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just I yeah that that um yeah I I just thought I'd ask you that because I've seen there's talk about. Um, whether it's Zion or Brandon Ingram, not sure how much legs this has, but it's been something. I mean, Bleacher Report, there's been it's been something on it. Um I heard this one from Sam Vassini, uh, but he suggested a trade with Orlando. Orlando would give Portland picks six and eleven, as well as Wendell Carter Jr. for three and Nurkic. Hmm. I like it. Orlando gets a legit big. Get a much higher crack at a, so at a, Port- at a franchise. Portland, Portland, I mean, Portland. legit big. Portland. <laughs> well, I like Wendell Carter's great. I just feel like, and Nurkic is injury prone recently, but I'm talking about like an actual like five. Like I feel like Wendell Carter's a little undersized. So or, we're or average. In your mind, that Nurkic is better than Wendell Carter? I didn't say that. I didn't say that now. I just think I didn't say that. All right. No, no, put words on off, Gary. Don't get me in trouble now. No. Well, I, apparently, I, apparently Nurkic is legit and Wendell Carter Jr. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> Listen, I'm not the biggest Nurkic fan, but I like him like I like a Jonas Valanciunas, like the old school type of centers that 
I think are legit centers. Like I think that Carter is more of a hybrid. I think in a perfect world he might be like a like a I guess he's a five. I mean he is a five, but like I think he came in as a four, four or five. Like I feel like that's kind of where he's at. You know what I mean? And, and I think that he makes a good fit with Orlando, but I would like a little bit more beef up front. You know, they have a lot of guys who are, and mind you, they're not ready for uh that one, there's not a whole lot of Joel Embiid's out there anyway, right? There's not a whole lot of Nicole Yokes out there anyway. And it's not like the magic in a space where they're looking up at these guys and going, yeah, we got to match up with that. But I don't like their big rotation if they had to. I just don't. I mean, they have a lot of like six, nine and up guys who are really long and, you know, really tall and really kind of thin. Just my opinion. And you get a guy like Nurkic, I think gives a little more balance on that end. And it's not just Nurkic. I'm, I'm making a case for Nurkic in a good way, but it's really the opportunity to move up and get a, a, a definite impact player at those top three spots, whether that is a Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. I like both of those guys in Orlando, you know, um, and I think that that's a, a good way of doing that. Six and 11 are good spots as well. You probably probably have the shooter, one of the Thompson twins, like it's good. I'm not saying you should be mad at that, but I'm saying if you have the option to get one of those two players at the top and you get a guy Nurkic who is, let's just say at best, uh, at worst, a change of a change of pace at that five spot, I'm not upset at it, <laughs> but no, I'm not saying he's better than Wendell Carter Jr. For the record, he's not. Um, just gonna throw it out there. I would say that they're on par. No, I'd say I'd say Wendell Carter's been more available. I'd say he's, he's better just for that. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're Portland making that trade, you and I I believe it would be an upgrade. I mean, not only just the age wise, but I I do think Wendell Carter was better last year um, than Nurkic. But uh, you know, it probably still that trade probably if. If Scoot is on the board at three, that's still that package is still probably not enough for me to want to basically bypass Scoot. Yeah, no, I guess you. If I'm the, I mean, again, it depends on where you're at. If you're, if you're Portland, if you're still around the, oh, we must build around Dame. This is what he wants with the honors wishes and try to build a championship contender, even though we've shown no ability to do so in the last half a decade. Then you're moving, you know, all of it to to make to make space, whether or not it makes the most uh, basketball sense to do so, right? Um, because I, I say you bring Scoot in, and if it's Scooter or or or, or Damian Lillard, Lillard's a franchise player. We love him, Portland. Like that's great. I pick Scoot. I just Dame like unless Dame's gonna be cool with playing alongside Scoot because Scoot's a future, and Dame's gonna be thirty three. Um, and as your best player, there is a very hard ceiling on where you could what you can accomplish. Dame had one of the best scenes of his career last year. And Portland was so comfortably out of the playoffs and not even the playoffs, the play in that Dame was able to sit the last 15 games. Like I'm just well, saying. And, and, I, and I think Scoot and Dame could play together. Like, I, I do as well. Like Scoot oh. can guard twos. Mm-hmm. He's got some, I mean, that's another thing we didn't really talk about, but Scoot has some heft. Like he has an NBA ready body right now. He had that as like a 17 year old. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. I think that he's one of those guys that will fit alongside Dame. Dame, if anyone can play off ball as a guard in that type of format, even though he's used to that heliocentric offense, it will be Dame Willard coming off of pin downs, coming off screens, being uh throughout the ball with his gravity to shoot. You know, a guy who can get to the to the to the cup at will almost with with Scoot Henderson. Those two matching together, I think Scoot's a better defender. I don't think he is. He's a better defender than Dame. <laughs> you know. Like, it, it could work. You still got Shaden Sharp with some size there. It's an intriguing team. Is it a championship team? No way. Um, is it a playoff contending team? Possibly. Still like the Thunder, you know? But, like, like it, it's a solid squad. I agree. And in my mind, this is what I would do if you had to. And it's all right, listen, like, Dame's like, hey, you got to make a decision. 
I'm like, all right, Dave, thank you for your service. Like, you know, it'll be like uh, Clyde Drexler back in the, you know, it was Portland, funnily enough, in the in the mid-90s. You know, when he went, he was still productive, had three more good years in Houston before he retired, but he wasn't good enough to get Portland where they wanted to go. And Portland's like, hey, we need to do a reset, you know? Um, and it wasn't popular at the time, and I don't think, I don't know if, I don't remember if uh, Drexler wanted to leave, per se. But bottom line is you have a player just like, Dame, the best player in history for this franchise up to that point. A guy who's still very good, just not that good anymore to get his team to a certain level. And it's like, well, hey, what are we going to do at this point? You know? Um, and Portland went a roundabout way to rebuild their roster that didn't involve draft picks as much as free agent acquisitions and good trades and, you know, that sort of thing. But Portland's in a position now where you look at a Shane Tribe, you look at uh, 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 Keon Johnson, Nasir Little, you know, uh, Cam. Why am I saying his name? Reddish, thank you. I'm not saying he's part of the young core like that, but younger guys like that. You bring in uh, a guy who can set the tone for the franchise moving forward if Dame doesn't want to stick around in a Scoot Henderson. And you say, okay, listen, we are going to be bad, you know, and we're going to get more draft picks and we're going to assemble a group from this and figure out what forms this next core of the next great Blazers team and what doesn't. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it could work either way, but I just think, and I don't know if you agree, if you have to make a decision between drafting Scoot to lose Lillard or trading the pick to keep Lillard, where are you? I mean, I would, uh, yeah, I know this is not really thinking about the human element because I know there's a lot of Portland fans that love Lillard and he's a franchise icon and all that. But if I have the choice of like, you know, basically doubling down on, or I guess this would be like quadrupling down on trying to compete with Lillard when we all know it's not going to work. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't think even Lillard as good as he was last season, which might've been his, the best year of his career. I agree. Um, I don't think like him as your best player, I just don't think is good enough to compete at the highest of levels. It's just not, um, he's, he's capable of bringing your offense to really high heights, but your defense is gonna, is gonna fall down a little bit just by his presence alone. Um, and you still have to have somebody else take some pressure off of him offensively because he can still go off for 70 or so and get you a win. But at the same time, consistently, we saw it down the stretch. No. Yeah. So yeah, I would, I would lean towards drafting Scoot and trading Dame if it was, you know, Lillard giving some sort of ultimatum. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. It's one of a few teams I'm very much focused on moving forward in this draft, but let's kind of, we, we, we always go along. This is how we do. This is why I love us um, or listen. Uh, let's kind of put the next group of teams in a cluster, right? Let's go four through 10. Um, what are some of your favorite selections? Um, and actually, did we ever talk about who your third player was? We didn't. Let's do that first. Um, let's, let's talk about that third player because uh, I hope it's not who I think it is, but I also don't know who it is. So well, let's hear. It's Amen Thompson. I knew it. I knew it. Darn it. Listen, okay. I have the Thompson twins late in the first round. Like, not a little, my bad, not late in the first round. Late in the lottery. Like, they're in the lottery. Um, but I, those shooting concerns are so real to me. The shot looks broke and not fixable. Like it's not great to me. And I don't think, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not comparing them to Ben Simmons. I'm not, but I'm saying I'm, I'm done with the believing we can build an offense around a primary initiator who really can't shoot. And I'm not even saying can't pretend to shoot, just can't shoot period. Um, I, 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 I just don't, I don't see it. Like even with the bucks, it's like Corbin, Corbin, yes. Corbin. Uh, I, I can't believe those, you know, what you just said came out of your mouth, given, you know, 
What was Russell Westbrook? Russell Westbrook not, could Russell Westbrook craft, like at least like NBA average offenses with Russell Westbrook, a guy who largely couldn't shoot. Well, largely couldn't, but Russell Westbrook had Russell Westbrook had a um mid-range shot that was very good. Like that, that was for sure up very, until maybe very good. Okay. He had a, a mid-range shot that was decently consistent. Defenses respected it absolutely up until about the last, I'd say, five, six years. And also when they did build that team fully around because beforehand he was playing with one of the all-time great shot makers of all of just ever, right? In Kevin Durant. And you had a guy who playing alongside him was still able to shoot the mid-range took threes in high volume, whether or not he made a lot of them, and was still a, a, a guy who was leading the league in scoring. I think he led the league in scoring one year with KD, um, and then was was an offensive threat in and of himself, right? And then, after that, when they did build a team just around him, he had a career high in three-point shooting. Mind you, it was a very pedestrian 34%. I don't think a man gets there. I don't. I think if a man does get there, it's going to be on very low volume. We're talking like 66 shots or something or, or, or something from three. Like, I, I, I think there's a difference there in the sense of like, yes. And, and when it got bad, it did get bad. We've seen Russ lead some offensive now where, you know, it, 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 it is what it is, right? Like, it's, it's not super great. But he's still, I mean, Hall of Famer, like the guy has shown the ability to score consistently. Um the guy took threes, mind you, he's a career 31% three-point shooter. That's not great at all. Like, I'm not saying that it is. But when he had his MVP season and shot 34% from three, um, the dude went and took uh, 583 of them mugs. 583 threes. He made 200 of those. That's high value, both in attempts and conversions. I don't see, I don't see that happening at all. I mean, I could see a man, even this past year, for example, and here's the thing, Russ, his three-point numbers aren't great. I think in Houston, he took 213 threes and made 55. The next year in Washington, he made 86 threes, 79, 89, 63, 26. Like, he's not a great three-point shooter. We know this. He's attempted 4,032 of them, but he's made 1,231. He's more in the Allen Iverson mode of can't shoot in the sense that he will shoot. And in the last couple of years, like, teams have really just embarrassingly, like, laid off of him. But for the first, like, 10 years of his career, they kind of respected it. They did. I mean, they, they definitely played defense on him. Like, he wasn't until he got to, I would say, Washington, where you saw teams, like, really, like, no, nah, I'd say Houston playoff series, where the Lakers are like, all right, cool. Like, teams have always said, we'll give you the jump shot. But it wasn't like, oh, no, nah, take that, man. You're not making that at all, you know? Um, where Men Thompson, like, and that's another thing. I'm sorry. I mean, you hit Russell Westbrook. You know I was going to get fired up. Nothing about Russell Westbrook is the shot just doesn't go down. But it doesn't look wrong. It just doesn't go down. And I have a theory about it. And I asked um, uh, when in summer league, I asked Kurt Goldsberry about it. And he actually said, like, I don't know why. I said his shot doesn't look bad. Like, do you think his shot looks bad? Why is his number so bad? And Kirk said, I honestly, it doesn't look that bad to me. He thinks that maybe all the knee surgeries might have impacted the way he gets so much lift off of his legs that when he jumps, you know, the shot, like, it throws it off a little bit the that's, way his body rides. That's it, because, yes, uh -huh. he, he's a jump shooter by that definition. Like, you know, when, when people say jump shot, it differs depending on who we're talking about. Like, Jamal Crawford, for instance, was a jump shooter. Yep, both legs in the back. Exactly. And and so that's what he thinks is why his numbers aren't bad. But make no mistake, I don't think Russell Westbrook's shot well, is broken, but I don't think it's, like, fundamentally broken like the dude doesn't know how to shoot. 
I just think the dude no longer can put it together on a consistent basis form-wise. You know what I mean? When he was young, he had too much legs. Now he's old, he doesn't have enough. You know? And then the two years that he was that he was actually decent, the numbers weren't they weren't bad. I mean, actually, they were kind of bad. He had a 29% and a 29% sandwich around a 34%. But every year from like 2015 to 2020, he was having knee surgeries. So, you know, I I that's how I look at him, where like I look at a man and I there's nothing about the shot I like. And I shoot like Sean Marion. Like, I get it. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm just, there's nothing about the shot that I think is replicable. Um, even Sean Marion shot. Sean Marion shot like a Russell Westbrook from three. Like, Sean Marion shot like, what, 34% from three, if I remember? And his shot was, 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 it was, it was, let's just say it was funky looking, right? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm kind of related, so I can't even make fun of him. But, like, the point being is, like, he still had a form that was consistent for him. And that worked for him, you know, and for his career. Yeah, he's 33% three-point shooter. For his career, better three-point shooter than Russ. Um, and he took, I'm trying to see how many threes he took in his career. He took, well, he took a, a far lower volume. He took 1,000, um, no, he took 2,393s over his career and made 791 of them. But he had a couple of years, you know, into 30%. Like, I, I, I don't know. I I'm saying all of this to say that a man to me is in that same boat in terms of a guy who would command. I mean, Sean Marion was more of like an ancillary player. He wanted to be more of a primary kind of score creator, but he wasn't that guy, right? Russell Westbrook's probably the best analogy. And that's why I agree with you bringing him up in terms of a man being on the ball and being a driving force of this team offense, despite having a liability, not being able to shoot. Um, But like at least Russ had times where he could shoot. And I just haven't seen a man of times where he could shoot. We'll be like, and, and we saw this. Like, oh, he had a stretch where he made like, you know, four of eight over the last three games. Okay. Like, that's where I am on it. So anyway, that's my big spiel. I'm going to throw it over to you, Garrett. Let, let's, tell me why why we believe. Yeah, so lot, lots to respond to there. And yeah, like, <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> um, the, the Russell Westbrook, he actually is my comp for Amen Thompson. Wow, but you're going to like him. That's what gets him. You're going to like him, though. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, again, Russell Westbrook was a a great basketball player, especially at his prime. Was? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to let you you finish. I'm done. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) But uh, the the thing with, you know, you you talk about Westbrook hitting threes and his MVP season shot 34%. You're right. I, I don't necessarily think a man is ever going to is ever going to shoot threes well. But here's the thing. Does Russell Westbrook actually in his prime, did he ever actually have to shoot a three given his athleticism? Couldn't he literally just rely on 15 footers and getting all the way to the rim? Yes. Yeah. 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 This is where you get me. He, you make a good point. He didn't have to. He did it because he wanted to. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if if you set a screen for a man, right, and the defense goes under, rescreen, right? You rescreen until you get to 15 feet. And if he can get to the point where Russell Westbrook, I think um, he had one season in 2013-14 where he shot um, 45% from the long mid-range. But for most of his career, he's kind of in the 36 to 43% ballpark from from the mid-range okay can a man get to that i think so i I mean it it would take some work yeah his shot is bad right now (laughs) but 
Um, you know, we're not talking, he doesn't have to, same with Giannis, right? Giannis doesn't have to shoot 55% from long mid-range. He just has to do okay enough to make all the other stuff that he does really well work. And that's where with a man, I look at him like Russell Westbrook, one of the best athletes I've ever seen as a, as a prospect. I would agree with that. And then a man taller than Russell Westbrook. He's got about three inches on Russ. That's it. that. Pretty similar defensive tape, even though Russell Westbrook, I think in his NBA career kind of disappointed defensively when he was in college as a prospect, he put up some really impressive defensive highlights. I think a man also looks like a really intriguing defensive prospect. And then I also think that Russell Westbrook has made himself into a really good passer. But I don't know if you would agree with this, Corbin, but wouldn't you say that Russell Westbrook wasn't necessarily a natural passer? It was something he sort of learned and made step-by-step progress, you know, figuring out this read to the role man, then figuring out the pass to the corner, you know, kind of doing it just through reps. I think Amen Thompson is actually a more natural passer than Russell Westbrook. I would agree with that, actually. No, I, I would. Like, I, he, he definitely was someone you're right. I mean, Russ played shooting guard in college. You know, it was Darren Collison who played the plane, right? Which is funny because you don't think Russ is a traditional shooting guard, but 2008, things are weird. Um, but, like, yeah, it, it, you're right. I, I, a man comes in with that feel already. Russ definitely did develop that feel, and credit to him for doing that as time went on. Um, you know, but, no, I agree with you completely. That wasn't something that he just had already in his back. Um, and a man does bring that, and you're right, physical attribute-wise. Yes, Russ has disappointed as a defender because he could have been an all-defensive guy. In fact, I think he has in the NBA, at least early in his career. Um, but, like, he just chooses not to do it. As he's gotten older, and I don't think he is able to do it unless he's engaged or takes it personally or it's Kevin Durant. Um, but, like, other than that... <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but, like, other than that, no, I agree with you completely. Like, you were constantly disappointed by how lackadaisical he is off-ball and just disinterested he is on that end. Where a man comes with that... If, defensive capability on site right and yes being a bigger passer and and being a better passer and being a bigger passer does help you so you made a point i'm starting to see a little bit here's my pick let's get it corbin amen thompson his ceiling is a better passing better defending bigger slightly worse shooting russell westbrook oh okay Mm, I like Isn't it. Is that a pretty fantastic basketball player? That is. I don't know if he's going to be as good a score as Russ is. Even with Russ shooting all the things he did, you know, all the horrible percentages that he did, like Russ did have, I mean, he's been a two, what, two-time leading scorer. Um, when he didn't remember that year, and mind you, he's a, a pusher of pace, you know, a driver of pace. But like the dude for his career, you know, he he's, averages 22 points per game you know he's had two seasons or four seasons i'm sorry shooting better making better than 27 points per game like i I think he's a better score right but but putting all that aside if we're talking about a better all-around basketball player like as a comp for us i agree i can definitely see a man being that i i I can definitely see him being that so i'm I'm gonna agree with you i am i don't like i said i think the scoring is a large component because russ is a system but like you said he grew into being a passer right like he became an assist leader and everything he wasn't super great passing the ball when he first started, right? I mean, 
In fact, that was kind of the thing. Oh, he's not a natural point guard. You know, KD can't play with him. That's part of the narrative there. But he could always score the rock. Now, it wasn't always the prettiest, right? Um, but it was something you'd always do. I, I don't know if a man, a man did it, but I'm, a man did it in, in um, overtime elite, which I am still on the fence on how I feel about that quality of basketball. It's tough to, it's tough to judge, but I will say that just watching him from an athletic perspective, he pops. He pops not only with his lift, his verticality, but mm-hmm. his burst, his shiftiness, his acceleration, his deceleration, all of it pops. And I feel like the key to being someone like a Russell Westbrook, like a Derrick Rose, like a John Wall at his peak, and being somebody that consistently gets downhill, you've got to be an elite athlete. You've got to have the ball handling chops, which I think a man has that, to create that separation to be able to functionally use your athleticism with, with the ball in your hands. I think he has all of that. So I, I am, I'm very high on him, even despite having the same concerns as you do about the jump shot. I just think, um, and we'll get into a his twin brother and why I'm a little lower compared on him compared to a man. But uh, I just, I think a six, seven amazing athlete. That's a great passer. I'm saying he's a great passer. The Thompson twins are great passers Um, that, uh, you know, um, can, can handle the basketball as well. I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to be a really, really interesting guy. Um, You know, there is a downside, right? Like if the shot just stays completely broken, there's it's going to be an issue and you know teams might not be as comfortable giving him the on-ball reps uh, you know it, it, I feel like whoever drafts him should just be like well yeah we're going to be bad offensively for a while to just let this guy grow um, <laughs> if, if the team that drafts him is not willing to do that that's also going to be a problem that also could lead to some bust potential but I think in the right situation, given the appropriate amount of reps, I think the guy is has some very special skills that we've rarely ever seen as, in terms of prospects coming through the NBA draft. That's true. That's true. I I I I can't argue that. I think I I, I still like him three. I think that three. You, you I, I don't know. It's more. I feel like you're if you're like you said if you're drafting a man at three, you're going, okay, listen, like we're building around you, like hands down. And I just feel like I would want him to kind of be in a position where maybe it's more of a fit thing. And then he like grows into the role he's going to be anyway, you know, um, like maybe Orlando's nice. I mean, they're already making it work with Markel Fultz, right. Who is a smaller version of that. If we're going to compare like a rest to a, a man to a Markel Fultz, like that type of tier of guard who, I mean, they both have both Thompson and Russ have way more physical attributes at their event than, Markel does at least from a speed and physicality standpoint. Markel more with his uh, with his length and and athleticism a little bit. Actually, no, not really. Just his length. Um, but with that being said, um, I, I don't know. I think third is third and fourth is weird because do I like him in Portland? I don't know if I do. Do I like him in Houston? I, I know that I don't. You know what I mean? Like after that. I don't mind. But if you're the team drafting and you look at your guys and you evaluate, I mean, if I got him in Portland, if you're keeping Dame, how are you making a man, sh- like a man has to be the point guard or, or he's just going to be like, 
I mean, there's only so much damage he's going to be able to do as an off-ball cutter. And he's a very good cutter as well. Good thing like you brought up. He's a very good cutter, knows how to find gaps in space, and he's going to need to because Thompson, of his inability Thompson's to shoot the basketball. Wins just know how to play. They're smart, intelligent. They've got good feel. Mm-hmm. Good passers in general are are pretty good in terms of like knowing um, you know what to do on the court, and that shows up in the help defense. It shows up in passing. It shows up in cutting, like you talked about. Sorry, I cut yeah. you off. No, no, I, I was just saying that's why he reminds me of Russell Westbrook too. Just that that feel that entails. <laughs> but no, I get you, and you know what you you've kind of convinced me. I can say you've kind of convinced me, so I appreciate that.